So we are going to spend our entire Advent journey uh, focused in on just a couple of verses from the book of Numbers. These verses contain the words of the priestly blessing, the first benediction given by God to Moses and to Aaron and to his sons to give to the people of Israel. The words that we're about to hear, about to read together, were first given in the context of a book written at the end of Israel's uh, wilderness wanderings as they were headed into the promised land. It's uh, a book that looks both backward and forward, reminding God's covenant people of all the ways that God has been faithful to them and also reminding them of the future that God has for them. And so I think it's a perfect text for us to use as we reflect this Advent. Because Advent is a time that we remember God's faithfulness to us in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's also a time that we look forward to the coming reign of God and the renewal of all things in Jesus Christ. This is what Advent is all about. So before we read, though, I want to invite you to just take a moment of silence to prepare yourself to hear God's word to you this morning, to rest in God's presence this morning with all of your faith and with all of your doubt, to open yourself up to the possibility that God might have something to say to you through the witness of scripture this morning. Let's just take a moment of silence. Listen now for the word of the Lord to us this morning. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Holy God, we've come seeking a word that only you can give, and so we ask that you would be gracious to us this morning as we seek that word. And I ask that you would take my words and use them to amplify your reconciling and liberating eternal word. That you would take all of our thoughts and transform them so that each and every thought might be held captive to Jesus Christ, and then would you take our lives and fill them with your holy and powerful spirit, that we might be swept out of here into the world that you love, which you have called us to serve. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. So about 10 years ago, I think it's about 10 years ago now, David Foster Wallace, uh, who is was a brilliant author and professor who died far too young, gave uh, a commencement speech at Kenyon College, which he entitled, This is Water. Has anybody, anybody heard that speech? Anyone here? So I, I, I highly recommend this speech. This is unlike any commencement address I have ever heard before. It is not the kind of um, dream your dreams, achieve your greatest aspirations, you are a unique snowflake, snowflake go therefore into the world. It is. It's a little bit more, uh, it's a little darker, uh, but I think actually contains some of the most valuable insights into living an intentional and meaningful life. 
Anyways, he starts the, he starts the commencement address with a parable. That uh, two young fish were swimming along in the water and going in one direction, and they approached an older fish who was swimming in the opposite direction, who kind of nods at them and says to them, Morning, boys. How's the water? And then swims along, so the two fish keep swimming in the direction that they were swimming, until one of them looks to the other one and says, What's water? They have no idea what water is, and yet they're swimming in it. David Foster Wallace uses this story uh, to kind of make a point, not only through the story, but through the rest of the speech, and that is that the most obvious, ubiquitous, and yet most important realities of our everyday life are the hardest to see and the hardest to talk about. We can refer to these realities as our default settings, And most of us live and move and have our being kind of stuck in these default settings. And the insidious thing about it is that we have no idea that we are in fact stuck in our default settings, unaware of it. And so Wallace was trying to get across this point to these fresh fresh grads that if they are going to live indeed compassionate and meaningful, empathetic lives, that what they're going to need to do is to pay attention. Pay attention to their default settings. Because the point that he was making is that if you're going to live that meaningful, intentional, empathetic life, you're going to have to be able to interrogate these default settings. Ask questions about them. You're going to have to pay attention so that you don't lead a kind of unconscious adult life, what Henry David Thoreau called the quiet life of desperation. So I happen to think that Wallace is right about a number of things, but especially this thing, in very profound ways. And I think that as followers of Jesus, we can learn from it as we seek to follow Jesus in ways that are intentional and indeed are transformative for us, especially during this Advent season when most of us have our default settings. We're stuck in past traditions, experiences, and routines. So maybe the question we need to ask during Advent this year and every year really is, are you paying attention? Are you paying attention as you move through this season to Christmas morning? Now, paying attention to the proverbial water in which we all swim is pretty hard. It's actually incredibly hard. And it's only getting harder and harder in the digital age, right? I think one of the most radical things that we do uh, uh, every week is actually gather for a set amount of time committing to one another to, to, to attend to God without our cell phones. Either that or you're just really good at hiding it from me and I can't tell. Uh, you're down texting or on Twitter. But like, I actually think this is an incredibly radical thing for us to, to carve out a space each week where we worship God without the distraction of our cell phone. As I'm, I'm, I'm aware of the irony of me saying this with an iPad right in front of me, okay? <laughs> I get that, okay? Technology is both blessing and curse. But I think that one way we ought to think about worship, right, is that it is a a kind of recalibration every week of our desires and our thoughts. It's a recalibration of our desires and thoughts from our default settings to something else. A mentor of mine often says that worship helps us imagine the world otherwise. Helps us imagine the world otherwise. And we commit to this coming week in and week out 
so that we might do that. We might imagine the world otherwise. We've just finished a long series about the kingdom of God. And this is the world that we are trying to imagine in our worship. But there's one problem, right? There's one problem, and that is that our worship actually is just as prone to every other part of our life to becoming a default setting, right? So worship actually becomes a default setting for us. We, we wake up in the morning on Sunday morning and we drive to church. Well, if you have young children, that is the first miracle of grace uh, on, a, on a weekend, right? Is somehow getting your children out of bed on a Sunday morning, putting their clothes on, giving them some breakfast, hoping to God that they don't spill uh, anything on their church clothes, so you have to go and change them again, and then somehow getting everyone into the car, driving to church on Sunday morning, only after you're here to make the pilgrimage to the, from the parking lot all the way to the third floor, right? This is a miracle of grace uh, that we need to be grateful for. And that's our routine. If you, if you don't come, if you're, if you're coming, you're not bringing kids, you guys join together, you grab a, a space on the patio, probably the same space every week. You enjoy the same amount of non-dairy creamer uh, in your church coffee. And you shake a few hands, you see the same people. Maybe you attend a Sunday school class, maybe not. And you come into whichever space that you worship in. If you worship here, you maybe, you maybe this whole worship in the round thing is super weird because like you have the space that you like to sit in. You come in and you're trying to find your seat. But you sit maybe in the same place. I know because I get to be up here every week and I know where people are. Um, and you, you kind of adjust. We sing a couple of songs. We shake a few hands. The peace of Christ with you and also with you. And then the pastor gets up and preaches, a, you know, maybe a sermon that's memorable, maybe not. And about halfway through the sermon, maybe that's about right now, you start to think about other things. You start to think about the day ahead. You start to wonder about, like, where's the shortest line for brunch? Um, you start to think about uh, maybe the day's activities and, like, how long you're going to be in the car transporting your kids from one thing to the next. And if you have enough podcasts to listen to to sustain that kind of journey. Maybe you're thinking about the week ahead and all the work that, that is awaiting you on Monday morning, the stressful part of your job. And this becomes a default setting. Like, check out. And then the pastor ends, and you're like, nah, I missed the last six points uh, of that sermon. Uh, and the, the band comes. We sing one more song. And then just when you think, just when you think that you're finally going to be able to leave, the pastor comes back up for like some kind of encore to the sermon <laughs> to give a blessing. And you're just like so checked out that you're just, get it over with, and you leave. And I'm being very kind of crude and cynical here, but I, I, maybe it's true. Maybe a little bit of it, it's true. But I want to say that it's in that moment where the pastor trots back up at the end of the service to offer a benediction that is maybe one of the most important parts of our worship service every single week for getting us to break free from our, our default settings. Getting us to imagine the world otherwise than our default settings. I don't know about you, but I didn't grow up in a church that had a benediction. It was, it was much more of a like, bye, see, see you next week kind of church experience. Um, so I don't know if, if you have ever kind of worshipped in a space that, that has a benediction. Um, but over time, the benediction has become one of the most important parts of, I think, the worship service for me. And it's actually one of my favorite things to do as a pastor. 
I actually, like, for those of you who were there at my ordination service last year, like, lost it at the benediction. It was, like, incredibly embarrassing to cry in front of all these strangers uh, that I was just becoming, you know, getting to know. But it's, it's one of the most sacred moments, I think, of our worship service. And I think that, that it is one of the most important parts of our worship service for two reasons. And only if we let it. It's really important that we both uh, enter into this, that, that you've got to let the benediction do the work that it's supposed to do. So two reasons why I think it's important. The first is that it is a, maybe one of the only spaces in which we offer a no-strings-attached blessing of grace. No-strings-attached blessing of grace. The thing about the blessing given to Aaron and his sons is that it's given to God's covenant people. And one of the most helpful ways that I know to talk about the covenant being in a covenant with God is that God makes a promise to us to be a certain kind of God and not another. That God promises in a covenant to be a God for us, to be in God, to be a God in relationship to us. Almost to be God, to not to be God without us. It's a very special relationship and it is built upon God's grace to us. We are the targets, the bullseye of God's targeted love and kindness and grace. And I don't know about you, but I spent the majority of my life thinking that I was a different kind of target. Like if God loved me, it was kind of like only the tough love. It was one mode of loving for God and it was the tough love to teach me a lesson. That maybe God was out to get me and not to bless me. And I wonder if that's a default setting for any of you. That God is not there to bless you, to not, not there to be for you, but somehow to kind of, kind of drone God, uh, hovering above, watching you all the time, looking to strike. And the benediction, I think, is the reminder to us, not just the bad news of the gospel that we are sinners, that God cannot tolerate sinners, but the good news of the gospel, that in Jesus Christ we are reconciled to God. And so God instructs Moses and Aaron to give this blessing to God's people so that they might know and believe the good news that God's intent is to bless God's people. That God desires, us, desires that we might grow and flourish. And as we grow and flourish, that the flourishing of creation might be a result. I know this is going to be kind of an odd uh, modern-day example of this. But the words God gives to Aaron and his sons to give to the people of Israel is probably best captured in the words of the one of, I think, the 20th century's most prominent philosophers, Mr. Spock, who told us long ago to live long and prosper, right? Captured the imagination, at least of me, on Saturday nights as a kid growing up. You may not know this, but Leonard Nimoy actually had a profound experience as a worship service, as a, as an or, at an Orthodox Jewish worship service as a boy. And uh, during the Orthodox worship service, they pronounced this blessing in the original Hebrew. And as the priests are announcing this blessing to the people who are gathered there, you're not supposed to look. They actually believe that it, the, the Shekinah glory is, is actually filling that space. And the last thing you want to do is look at the Shekinah glory like eye to eye, right? So Leonard Nimoy, as a boy peaks and live to tell about it. Uh, so he peeks, and what does he see but the priest with his hands outstretched, 
making this sign over the people. This is, this, I, I swear this is true. So this sign right here, the priests would make, make a W, looks like a W with their hands, which is, which is the first, um, it is the letter of, the, uh, of Shin in the Hebrew alphabet, which is the first letter in words like Shaddai, a name for God, the word for shalom, for peace, which is the last part of this blessing. So they stand over the people. They announce this blessing over the people. And that made such a profound impact on Leonard Nimoy as a boy that years later when he was talking through his director and they were trying to find a sign uh, and, and a blessing that Vulcans could share with one another to kind of identify themselves with each other, that was the sign that he chose. And people have been randomly blessing each other ever since, like on the street corners. And he said it, he had no idea that this kind of thing would take off. Live long and prosper is a really good way for us to understanding what this, this blessing is. That God desires that we would flourish as human beings, as his loving creation. For those of us who struggle, I think, to believe that God might be blessing us, that God desires to bless us so that we might flourish, there, I think, is no better time than Advent for us to remember this, for us to pause and to reflect upon it, even if we don't feel that we are necessarily the bullseye of God's targeted blessing right now in the life stage that we're at. Things are hard. Things might be dark. Advent reminds us that even though we might be sitting in the darkness, that the birth of Christ means that the light is come into the world. The darkness cannot overcome it. Advent is the perfect time for us to reflect upon this promise of God's faithfulness to us. And there's a vocational lesson in this whole blessing business too, this whole uh, priestly blessing. And that is that, that of the many things that God desires for those who represent him to do, one of which is to just offer a blessing. Which leads me to the second reason why I think the benediction is so important for our worship together, and that is that it sends each of us out into the world to serve the, the world that God has created and which God continues to love. That's the point of the benediction, to send us. There's a really important reason that we don't conclude our worship every week with a, bye, see you all next week. It's a really important reason for that, and it's not just like a transition. It's because we don't believe that we're leaving here. We believe that we are being sent by God, out into the world. And that's a really important point. We're being sent. The, the benediction is kind of this last-minute reminder, the last reminder that the rest of our lives are filled with just as much spiritual meaning as what we do here together every week. It's that last reminder that the rest of your lives can be just as meaningful and just as sacred as the moments that we share here together. In worship, we've gathered to do what we were created for, created for to, to worship God, to glorify God, to enjoy God together. But this worship's not, it's not about making us more religious or more spiritual. It's actually an exercise in making us more human, to take up the vocation given to us at creation to care for the world. That's what our worship is supposed to do. It's supposed to energize us to take up this vocation in the world. So notice what this means, that the raw material of our lives— Okay? The, the, the work that we're called to, the children that we're trying our best to shape and to form, the civic duty of voting, boring things like going to zoning committee meetings, 
The trivial task of grocery shopping, of doing laundry, of cleaning the house, of doing the dishes. The schoolwork that you are giving your due attention to. These are not distractions from the spiritual life. These are opportunities that God has given us to bless the world. The benediction reminds us that the raw material of our life can be used not just for our own benefit, not just for our own flourishing, but so that we can take our part as as people of faith who are blessing the world that God loves. So every time that a pastor comes up at the end, what they're doing is blessing the work that you're doing day in, day out. The glamorous and the not-so-glamorous moments. It's an opportunity for you to think about every part of your life as filled with the sacred. And it's an invitation. It's an invitation to think about your life this way. And if you let it, right? If you let it, if you respond to this invitation, I think that you will find the most meaningless, mundane moments actually maybe filled with meaning, maybe even become a little sacred. And again, Advent is the perfect time for us to pay attention to the ways in which mundane things are imbued with grace and the sacred. I mean, the radical message of Advent is that the divine has entered into the, the, the mundane order, assumed the mundane order in order to redeem it. The pastor of a community that I worshipped with for a number of years said the same benediction every single week. And he took his benediction from a man named Dick Halverson, who is a, a Presbyterian minister and the chaplain of the U.S. Congress. And we ended each Sunday worship service hearing these words, which have had a profound effect on my life. He says, you go nowhere by accident. Wherever you go, God is sending you. Wherever you are, God has put you there. He has purpose in putting you there. Christ who indwells you has something he wants to do through you wherever you are. Believe this and go in his grace and love and power. Now for those of you who responded to that with the objection that that kind of sounds a bit robotic, that we're robots and that God has kind of got the controller and directing our our lives, uh, welcome to the Reformed tradition. No, like, uh, it's, it, the important thing about this benediction is not the fatalistic overtone that might be kind of hidden within it. The important part about this benediction and why it means so much to me and shaped so much of my life is that it reminded me that there's no space closed off from God's purpose. No space closed off from God's presence. That the raw material of our lives, the work that we do, day in, day out, are opportunities for God to transform us. There's no part of our lives that God isn't using for our Christian formation. That is why I think if we let it, I believe that the benediction can shape us. It can break us free from the default settings in which we're stuck. Again, if we let it. If we can pay attention, we might hear the good news that we are a people who are deeply loved by God. That God intends to bless And we might come to see that the rather mundane moments of our lives are imbued with God's grace, God's presence, and God's calling. And so this morning to conclude this service, we're going to do something a little bit differently. 
I know we've already done a lot of different stuff. Uh, maybe we're, you know, over leveraged on the, on the, on the different stuff. But we're going to do something a little bit different this morning. Instead of ending with a, a song and me coming back up to, to give a benediction, we're going to be a little bit more intentional this morning. What we're going to do is we're going to, during this last song, we're going to invite you to actually come forward. Just like we celebrate the Eucharist here, where you come forward and receive the elements from someone who's serving, we're going to ask you to come forward, and we've got some people who are going to be up here who are going to bless you. They're going to recite the words that we've read this morning, um, the Lord bless you and keep you. They're going to make, uh, mark, mark the sign of the cross on your forehead. If that makes you uncomfortable, totally fine. Just hold out your hands so they might bless the work of your hands. The reason that we're doing this is that I want us to, I want to shake us free from our default settings. To think about the benediction as a way that we're being sent as a people out into the world that God loves. To be reminded that God loves us. That God gives us his grace. So I'd like to invite those who are going to be forward uh, now to, uh, to serve. There will be, I'll be up here, we'll have someone else up here, and then the rest will be kind of out towards, uh, towards the wings here. And whenever you're ready, I just invite you to come forward and to receive a blessing this morning. And, and know that, that um, this is an experiment for us, right? We don't really have like an evacuation plan for this kind of thing uh, like we do every week. So uh, what we're asking is that you treat this like a benediction. So when you're ready, come forward, receive that benediction. And then, and then treat it as a benediction. Take that as a cue to go out and to love and serve the world that God has created. I invite you to come.